Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning. Hope your Thanksgiving was uh, festive and full. Is anybody tired of the leftovers yet? Is anybody out there? Light's kind of bright. I may be in here by myself. Just a couple of people here. We're glad you're here today. Today we're concluding our series on miracles. I hope you've been blessed by this uh, series. Uh, We've had three messages up to this point, all been extremely uh, well uh, versed as it I mean, listen, we could have picked any of the miracles that Jesus did, and they would have all been excellent, but I think they just hit us where we are today as a church. Uh, I know personally in my life we did, but today we're concluding that series. Take your Bibles if you have them. If not, there should be, well, there may not be any on the screen today. I'm not sure how that goes. I can, I have my glasses off, so I can't see the screens, but John chapter 11, we're going to be looking at a story uh, that's a really long story, and I'm not going to read all of the verses for us today, but I want us to get some principles from this story of the raising uh, of Lazarus from the dead uh, as part of this last uh, fourth and final um, uh, sermon on miracles, extraordinary power, everyday life. The definition that we've given for what a miracle is is this, the extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. Do we really believe that the God who took the children of Israel through the wilderness For 40 years and fed them from bread that literally fell from heaven. Do we really believe that the God who parted the Red Sea for them to get into the wilderness, that they will walk on dry land, do we really believe that that God is the same God for today? I mean, this is the God who took the children of Israel and did what he did for those 40 years, but also took those three Hebrew boys, brought them out of the fire, and they didn't even smell like smoke. He took Daniel out of the lion's den. When we hear miracles like this and we read them in the scripture, sometimes we can believe that the, that the God who did all that is still the God that's in the Bible, but we're not sure it's the God that can meet our needs for today. But you know what? Same God. Same exact God. The God that did all of that, that spared Daniel, that rescued the Hebrew boys, that did all of that, got Jonah out of the whale, is the same God who has the power to do all of that today. Could he unleash possibly that power today in your life? I believe that he could. I think for most of us, though, we would say, intellectually, I believe that that's the same God. But is he going to do those things? Ah, probably not. But could he do those things? He is the same exact God as the God that we read about. So last week, Pastor Vance made this statement. And when he made it, I said, I'm going to say that next week because it's a really good statement. So if you remember it from last week... Here we go. Anytime we discover how big God is, he gets bigger. He is bigger. Anytime we discover who God is, he's bigger than that. Amen? Amen. It's not my amen group, is it? (laughs) I preach better if you preach with me. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. He has all the power to do whatever he desires to do. Jesus, God himself, has all the power to do. So as we start today, let me ask you this question. How big is God? How big is the God you serve and what do you believe that he's capable of? Like in your mind, how big is he? One of the things that we hope when you leave every service or every teaching that we do here at Hope is that your view of God is bigger when you leave than when you came in the door. That your expectation of his power and his bigness and what he's capable of. And listen, as Billy Graham's always said, how much he loves you is bigger once you walk out that door. Over the past three weeks, we've looked at the different stories. We've looked at three different. We looked at the woman at the, uh, with the issue of blood. God healed her after 12 years of sickness. We've looked at the feeding of the 5,000 with just two fish and five loaves of bread. Actually, it was between 15 and 20,000 people. And last week, Pastor Vance preached a message uh, using the miracle of the men who dropped the, their friend through the ceiling so that he could be healed. And Jesus, sure enough, said, your sins are forgiven. And also, get up and take your bed and walk, right? And those are amazing stories, and I think they're wonderful. But those miracles, while they don't pale in comparison, when I think about what we're about to read, when we think about a resurrection, somebody who's dead, not just dead, but stinking dead, being made whole again and then walking out of the grave, is an unbelievable, maybe the most uh, difficult for us to understand, but also maybe the greatest display of the ultimate power of God ever. And that's a resurrection of a human being from death to life. And so I don't want us to get caught up too much in the actual uh, truth of the resurrection because Lazarus really was dead, like really dead. He didn't get resuscitated and, you know, you know, clear. <laughs> he, he died. He was graveyard dead, came back to life. And I think that's awesome. But there are a couple of principles I want us to get from this story today of some things that God reveals us that I think we can use practically in our own lives today through this miracle. Today's message is about trusting God's timing and desiring God's glory. Trusting God's timing and desiring, most of all, God's glory as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So, point number one, and I'm going to read the scripture here as we go along. I'm going to do kind of a running commentary. It's a little bit different, so if you're used to hope and we're not doing it the exact same way, that's okay. I'm Tom. I'm a little odd, okay? So it'll, it's a, thank you, I guess. Just kidding. First thing we need to know today, the first principle we can take away is we can trust God's timing. We can trust the timing of God. God knows what he's doing. Do you believe that? Amen. We can trust his timing. Here's a question that goes through this, though. Have you ever wanted something now? We're Americans, of course, the answer is an absolute, you betcha. <laughs> yes, we've wanted things now. Our natural man has an insatiable appetite. It's an appetite that is never satisfied. Like we're almost convinced that once we get this, we'll be good, right? But one TV turns into two, and then Black Friday comes, and it turns into 12. <laughs> we have an insatiable appetite. The more we get, the more we want, and when it becomes... To be honest with you, it, it soon becomes a matter of how fast can we get it. We want it right now. So here are a few things to prove that as Americans and as, as um, 
just regular old Western civilization people. Here are a few things to prove what I'm trying to say to you. The microwave oven. My dad used to pop popcorn on the stove. It's actually the best way to do it. But it's not as fast. It takes a little, you know, a little effort. Uh, microwave's easy, though. Just hit the popcorn button, for goodness sakes. They got a button on the microwave that says popcorn. Where's the one that says steak? Curing coffee makers. Yeah, don't look at me spiritual. You not only got them at your house, you got them in your office. drive throughs fast food, everybody knows about those, but how about these? The dry cleaner. Starbucks, I know you know about that one. For goodness sakes, you can get your drugs, your legal ones, from the pharmacy through the drive through <laughs> Online shopping. Credit cards even tell the story about how we want something now and I don't even have to have the money to get it because I got this credit card and I can pay for 35 years on it. We want what we want, but we also want it when we want it, don't we? And that's kind of how human beings are. God, though, knows what's best for us and when it is best for us to have what indeed we should have. And that's why we can trust him in the hard times, the difficult times of our life with his timing. All of us, you know, I was, I was thinking through this, and sometimes the, the, the things that we trust him with aren't just the hard times. I know for those of you who are married now, do you remember not being married and, you know, you thought that was the guy or that was the lady and, you, you, you know, you were just convinced and now you're like, whoa, glad that wasn't the guy, you know. <laughs> So it's not always the difficult times, but here's the thing. It's always the big decisions, right? But the truth is, it's not even always the big decisions. It's every decision in our life. It's every difficult time. It's all the things that we go through. We can trust God and the timing that he has for our life. You don't have to get ahead of God. He already knows what the deal is. He already has it planned. There's already a plan for your life. So what does it mean to trust? Well, the trust means to, be a, to, to have assured reliance on the character. And in this case, let's think about it like this, the character of God. To have assured reliance on the ability of God and on his strength and on the truth of who he is. You can trust God. And you can trust his timing. He has everything well in hand. To trust means to have faith in or even believe in, to have confidence in something. In fact, in the New Testament, a lot of times when you see the word believe or you see the word faith, it's the same exact word as the word trust. They can be interchangeable. You can trust God. You say, I believe in God, I don't trust him. You don't believe in him. I trust God, but I, I, sometimes I just don't have enough faith. Then you don't, then you don't believe. You, you don't trust. They're the same. But we can trust God. And we're going to show you today what that looks like just out of these verses. Look at the situation here in John chapter 11. I'm going to read. I'm going to do kind of a running commentary, so keep up with me here. The Bible says in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, Now a certain man was sick. Now, as that was a little bit of an understatement if we read it in our English language. We're going to find out later that he actually dies. Some of you are here today and... You're a little bit sick because you're under the weather and you're taking hauls and you're, you know, you're doing your sinus medication or whatever. That's sick. But this guy was a little bit more than that. So when we read it, let's read it in a way this man was very sick. 
Lazarus of Bethany, and he begins to describe who this guy is. He was from the village of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 2, it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. The one who wiped his feet with her hair. Whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse 3 says, so the sister sent word to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, look, check it out. He, who lo- he whom you love is sick. You see, Mary and Martha knew Jesus personally. They knew who he was. They even believed that he was God. They were his followers. They, they were his friends too, though. This is the Mary and Martha in Bethany who invited Jesus over for dinner, if you remember. And Martha's in the kitchen getting all Thanksgiving ready. And Mary's in there doing nothing, according to Martha, except for just at Jesus' feet looking at him putting perfume on his feet and wiping it with her hair. This is the same exact. Listen, they were his friends. He had been over to their house. They knew him very, very well. And they were asking him to do something that would be impossible if he were not God. So they actually did believe this. They wanted him to do something that he, they knew that he could do. And look at what Jesus does in verse 4 after they send this word to him. But when Jesus, verse 4, heard of this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death. Now, nobody asked that question. They said he was sick. Now he's actually saying he's physically not going to die, or that's what they thought that he meant. We'll look at this a little bit deeper in just a minute. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, look what this says. You believe this insensitivity of Jesus? He was so concerned about his friend, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The Bible is a little bit funny here. Mark writes exactly what happened. Jesus is told, your best friend is sick. Maybe Jesus did understand that it was a sickness that was unto death. Even though he says, this won't end in death. It was a very, but instead of getting up and taking a plane or, you know, catching a, a bus or, or getting on his bicycle or his whatever, you know, transportation or what, what he didn't even put on his Nikes and run there he stayed two more days where he was you say how insensitive could you be upon hearing about this he didn't make any kind of quick motion or 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 or, or he, he didn't make a way for him to get there any quicker in fact he stayed two more days he may have been a really good friend but if you just read it like this it doesn't look like it does it maybe Jesus had something else on his mind. When Mary and Martha said, could you come over because your friend is dying, in the human sense, we would say, we got to get there quick. But God, knowing all things, and listen, not just about Mary and Martha's life, but about your life. He knows about your life. Knows just when to get there. He knows exactly what needs to happen. So that you get the greatest benefit. And so that he gets the most glory from your life. Now if I were to say, and I'm about to, we can trust God, we would all say, amen. Yeah. When you're in that situation, you might not say it so readily. Some of you today have brought some stuff in here. Some of you have gone through some stuff. 
And you're not only wondering if God knows what's going on, you're almost convinced that he's allowing it to punish you. Some of you are convinced that he doesn't care at all. But he does. Not only does he, he's going to work it out for your good and his glory. That's why I said you can trust him. See, a lot of it, when you're looking at somebody else's life, you can think very clearly, I'm to trust God. I need to trust God because I know that he is trustworthy. But when you're in the middle of it, sometimes your own emotion clouds that. Amen? And when our emotion begins to cloud it, we can't look at what our emotion tells us. We have to look at what his word tells us. And so today, when we look at this, when he says this sickness isn't until death and he waits two more days, what is God really trying to tell us? Look at verse 17. After Jesus uh, 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 talks to the disciples a little bit more in there between 7 and, and, and 16, in verse 17, the Bible says, when Jesus came, when he got there, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, that Lazarus was there four days. In fact, Martha makes this statement to Jesus in verse 21. He said, Lord, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. You got here, he's dead, he's been there four days, but if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Listen, Martha believed so vehemently and, 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 and trusted Jesus so much. She said, if you'd just been on the scene, your power, it's the power you have and you've always had, wouldn't have allowed this to occur. The reason we know this is because how it's written. This is a conjecture on my part as a pastor who wants to make it sound better. Mary thought it was impossible, excuse me, Martha thought it was impossible for Lazarus to die had Jesus been there. I mean, your power would have stopped it, Jesus. I mean, do you hear a little bit of blame in that? Way to go. God of the universe, who knows everything, showed up a little late. He's dead. But here's what I can tell you. Had you been here, it wouldn't have happened, right? Listen, some of you today are in that place where you're blaming God. God's using something else, and he's waiting some time, and he's got you in the not yet, and the question hasn't been answered. And so instead of saying, you know, I'm just waiting on you, Lord. No, you're saying, I can't believe you wouldn't. I can't believe you waited. I can't believe you're making me wait. There's a little bit of disbelief there, and she has a little bit of blame. But here's what trust means. Trust means knowing he always knows what's best. God isn't silent for any kind of disciplinary or retributive lesson. In other words, he's not punishing you when he's not answering at this moment. He's well-informed. He cares. And look at what he says to Martha. When he sees the look on Martha's face, he says this. He will rise again. Boy, that, I mean, that should, she should have started running when that happened. Woo! Glory! Right? I mean, that's what should have happened. He will rise again. She goes, yeah, I know, because I'm a theologian, right? I know that in the resurrection, we're going to, you know, everybody's going to rise. Who, you know, I, we, we know all that. Mary uh, then shows up on the scene because Martha goes and gets her. In verse 32, look what she says. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's the exact thing that her sister said. Lord, I know. So here's Jesus in verse 38. He kind of boils it all down. The Bible says Jesus, again being, excuse me, again being deeply moved within. Now, this word deeply moved, you know, we go, oh, Jesus, so sweet. Jesus is, 
I wish my husband was that tender. Do you know that this word is actually a word, the, the, the root word is usually translated anger? Now, I'm not going to go ahead and tell you that he was all mad right here, because I don't think that's the case. But I do think it's more than just Jesus being tenderhearted, because he was tenderhearted. He is tenderhearted. It's Jesus going, <clears throat> I'm not being moved because of Lazarus. I'm being moved because of the lack of faith. I'm being moved because of the lack of trust. Listen, I'm here. Things are about to get good. In fact, look what he says. He came to the tomb. Now it was a cave. By the way, as, as we move through this, think of another story you've heard with a man dead in a cave where the stone, just saying. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone. Take it away. Martha, the sister of the, of the deceased of Lazarus, said to him, Lord, by this time, there will be a stench. If you got the King James, it's, it's one of my favorite. He stinketh. <laughs> there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, see there it is again, that if you trust, that if you have faith, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes, and here's what he said. And this afternoon when you get home, I want you to go back, and I want you to read these, these sentences that Jesus say, says when he's talking to the Father. Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you always hear me. He said, I present tense am thanking you, but here's what I know. In the past, I've always known that you hear me. But, look what he says. I'm saying all this, but because of the people standing around I said this, I said it, so that they may believe you sent me. He said, here's the reason we're about to do what we're about to do. Here's the reason I'm going to say what I'm about to say. Here's the reason that, I, that, that my timing is right on time. Here's what he says. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped, uh, wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. You know why? Because he was alive. This man who was dead in the grave and stinking came walking out of the... Let, you say, was, he had all the, the ceremonial wrapping. Yeah, that's how they put him in there. He just walked out and said, I got to get I was in the grave. I'm coming out. Brother Bob Pittman, who's Vance's dad, preached, it's been 15 or 20 years. I remember him saying one time when he was preaching through this passage, he said, it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus, like he called him by name. Because if he hadn't, every dead person in Jerusalem would have come out. <laughs> and you know what? That's how much power Jesus has. That's the power. Some of you have lost loved ones. I have too. You say, why wouldn't Jesus do that for me? You know, we have a vision of who God is that sometimes is wrong. And we have visions and dreams of what God does 
or what he should do. And they're wrong too. He had a plan and he had a purpose specifically with this family and with this man. And he was about to make it happen. He said, so that all these people will know who I am. That's why. Do you know why you're going through the situation and you may be living in the not yet or maybe it's finished with, you still don't understand it? God used it for his glory. I could go in every section and probably three or four people in each section because I know a lot of you and I've talked to a bunch of you. You've been in my office or we've had a conversation here and I know the junk or the stuff or the difficult stuff that you've been through and I know that. And here's what I can tell you. God's got a plan and a purpose for all that. Some of you already know, and you're like, I know, God's already using me in it. He's using your experience for his own glory and help other people. Some of you try to pray your way through that and out of it, and and, and you know what happens? You become useless in the kingdom of God because you won't let him do it. And I've seen him use you over and over and over again. He said, I'm going to say it here so when he comes out, these people are going to be used for the kingdom of God. You see, what we see in this incredible story of the resurrection of Lazarus is this. God's timing isn't our timing. If you leave with nothing else today, leave with this. Our natural view of time is different than God's view of time. How we see how things ought to happen is different from how God sees it. God is around time and not in it. Listen, I want you to get this. This is November 29, 2015, today. Tomorrow will be the 30th, 2015, uh, November 29th will be gone. But our God is not on the chronological timeline with us. He's around it. He sees the first like he sees the last. He sees the 70s like he does the 2000s and wish the 70s were still here. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He's around it. Isn't it awesome to think that the God who's in control of us and who loves us more than anybody else sees everything that's going on And we can't. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less 10 years from now. But he does. That's why I'm trusting him. That's why we should trust him together. Because he does know and we don't know. We can trust him and his timing. Pastor Travis made this statement a couple weeks ago. It fits well here. He said, it's funny how we'll trust God with our eternity but not with our earthly resources. And I think that statement fits well here. So I'm going to change it a little bit. It's funny how we trust God with our eternity, saving us and taking us to heaven and giving us new life here on earth and not with his timing to handle these things that are in our lives. Isn't that something? God, I trust you because this is something I just can't handle. But it just looks like to me, if I were you, I would make this happen a little quicker. (laughs) Right? We don't ever have to wake God up because he's not sleeping. We don't have to beg him to do something to get his attention. He's always alert. He's always aware of our situation. He's always on time. Always. And listen, if he isn't or he does it sooner, I promise you, you won't like it as much as if you'd waited. God knows what he's doing. We can trust his time. The second thing, we can trust God's timing because it's for his glory. I asked you a question just a minute ago when we started the, the, the first point, and the question was this, have you ever wanted something now? Do you remember that question? Let me, ask you this, let me ask you this question to go with this point. Have you ever wanted that something that you wanted in the now to actually be for somebody else? 
I want this now, and I want it for them. And let me get a little deeper. Have you ever wanted it for God? The reason I want this now is because I want it for him. Some of the godliest people I've known who've gone through some horrific situations and hardships and difficulties in their lives, when you begin to talk to them, the only thing they can talk about is the faithfulness of God. I've watched people with cancer die before my very eyes, and the last thing they're saying is, you know what? God knows what he's doing. We look at them and go, man, you don't get to go home. You don't get to eat. You don't get to see your family. You don't get to be with your friends. You don't get to do your thing. You don't get to... And we miss the whole point that God knows what he's doing because he does know what he's doing. Amen. We can trust him because it's for his glory. What does it mean to desire God's glory? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, man, I just, God, use me for your glory. Like, fill me up and then pour me out, Lord. You ever prayed that prayer? You ever desired God's glory for him to use your life and to give you a life that is meaningful for him and not just for you? Why would God allow Lazarus and his sisters to go through this ordeal? One reason. For his glory. Why has he allowed you to go through it for his glory? You say, Tom, the thing that I've gone through was just a, a, a thing that never should have happened. It was a sin on somebody else's part, or it was a mistake, or it was a circumstance. And, and we can go through the Bible, and I can show you that, you know, there were men and women in the Bible who had to endure circumstances that God got glory from. Joseph was sold by his brothers, thrown into a pit, accused of rape, but yet was the very one who brought and saved the whole nation of Israel from a famine. The Bible says what the devil meant for evil, God meant for God. Have you ever thought that the story of your situation or the, the, the end story of the, of the uh, hardship that you're in or the circumstance is for the glory of God? You know, most of the time the reason we don't is because we view life way differently than God does. We view our lives way different. We have a different definition of what life truly is. Why would he allow you to go through hardships? For the same reason that he did this family. Here's the second truth. truth. Our natural view of life is different than God's view. Listen, not only is our natural view of time different, our natural view of life. Like how we see life in general. Our perspective on life is this. Here's how we, here's, here's how we view life. We're born, we mature, we pay taxes, we get old and we die. That's the way I feel anyway. How about you? I'd like for one time something I buy to be the actual price that's on the sticker. I would like, like not to write a check every year, extra, extra, extra to Uncle Sam, though I love him. I'm going to die if I get old. We are all going to that place. But the way we see life, we spend so much of our time trying to make life more fun. We spend so much of our time trying to live and live and live. And listen, I'm all for it. Ron Dunn, a, a man who's in heaven now for the last 15 or 20 years, he once made this statement. He said that our mistake is, is that we usually are looking forward to living life and we forget that we're actually living life today. We look, so we, we, we're, we're planning all the time to live life and we forget we're living life today and so our whole life just goes before our eyes. But here's what I can tell you. This life is short. I can't believe I'm almost 50. 
I know with this boyish physique and face, it, that surprises you. But nobody's more surprised than me. 50 was old, just not few, too few years ago. We were all heading to that place. But I tell you this, you put all your, your eggs in the basket of what this life is, you'll have the wrong perspective because here's God's view of life. In Jeremiah 1.5, God lets us know, I knew you before you were in the womb. Like he was looking at, I don't even, I, I, didn't, I didn't know I was even alive until I was about three. <laughs> he knew me before I was even anything. You know what that means? He tells us in Jeremiah 29.11, I have a plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you. That's every person that's ever been created. Whether they made it out of the womb or not, God had a plan. God's got a plan. You're 100, praise God, he's got a plan. That's his view. And the plan may not be what you want it to be. Or it, it may be different from what you saw other people and, and how they were blessed or what they had, but, but their blessing was never going to be yours anyway. So no reason to be jealous or covet God's got your plan. He knows the plans. In 1 Samuel 12, 23, in Luke 16, we see instances where David says, I can go, I'm going to go to where you are, but you can't come to where I am. I, I, I'm going to go where my son is, the one who passed away. And Lazarus and the rich man die. And Luke, and the Bible tells us that, that they're talking after death. Like, the rich man's begging somebody to go back and tell his brothers. You know what that means? He was alive. This isn't a story. You say, Tom, what are you trying to say? All people who have ever been created are still alive somewhere. That's how you know that. That's what the Bible says. Well, I'm just going to die and then turn into dust. Your body will, but you will live forever somewhere, heaven, hell, or here. You're not here ever. You're not going to live here forever. I know there are people who think they will, but they won't. There's two destinies according to the scripture. All people who've ever been created, they're still alive. See, spiritually, we may die physically. Excuse me, physically we may die, but spiritually every human is still alive. God has a different perspective than we do. When God saw that Lazarus was sick, the truth was, is he said, even if he dies, he lives, right? You know, I'm looking out in the crowd, and I've seen many of you. We've done funerals here. You lost your loved one, but here's, here's what I can tell you. They're still alive. I watched my grandfather in that casket, and I cried, and, and there were people who came, and they said, you'll see him again someday, and I know that, right? But now I'm going, I, I'm, man, I can't wait to see granddaddy. He's alive. You say, you preachers, y'all are just, uh, hey, it's in the Word. If the word's not right, I might as well go sit down. In fact, I might as well go watch football. There's some good games on. <laughs> see, our bodies are wasting away. Here's what I know. And for those of you, because I see Thomas McCrumman over here, and I know, you know, you the thing. CrossFit, you know. <laughs> not CrossFit. I know I drive my car here and you guys are running down the street and I wave. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. 
I feel bad for a millisecond. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you. I'm all for exercising too. I think it's great. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> but I do think it's great. But let me tell you this. If your perspective on your physical life is all wrapped up in what I'm about to describe, you're going to miss God's plan for your life. If you're trying to figure out how much longer you can live on earth instead of letting God get glory from your life, you're going to miss God's plan for you. Listen, I, I think we should exercise. I think we should be fit, but we can exercise all we want. We can eat the freshest of vegetables all we want. We can stay away from the fried foods. God help us. We can have the cleanest bills of health that any person, is, that any doctor or human has ever seen. We, our cholesterol levels can be so minute that our doctors will be amazed. We can get our teeth so straight and so white that Hollywood will be begging for us. But if we neglect to see the reality that someday this body will fade away while trying to stay, trying so hard to stay alive longer, we will have missed the essence of God's purpose and plans for our lives. I, I'm not down on exercise. I'm not down on eating healthy. I think, it, I think we should, and I think it's a great stewardship for what God's given us. But I'm telling you what, you can do all that, and you're going to die anyway. You're going to die. I mean, am I the first one that said that to you? <laughs> Come on, people. Start thinking sensible. You are going to die physically, but you don't have to spiritually. Your soul has been created so that you don't have to. You see, perspective is the issue. What is your perspective of life? Is it get all I can, can all I get, sit on the can, you know? Make it to the top, do the thing, be the person, have the stuff, and then die anyway? Or is it let God use my life for him? You say, Tom, is that what you're trying to get at? Yes! Let God use your life. Let him get glory from your life. You can trust him with your life because he's going to get glory from it if you do. Desire glory to be given from your life. That's the best thing people can say about you when they go to your funeral. This lady, this man, let God use him or her. They won't talk about the money. They won't talk about the stuff. They'll talk about how God used you and you allowed God to do that. To get glory from his life. Pastor Travis, a few weeks ago, made a comment. He had, a, had this quote during his sermon. It's been six or eight months ago now. He said, the stresses and struggles of this world don't represent the final word in the life of a follower of Jesus. There are days that can often feel like decades. Anybody got an amen on that? Things might not change today but they will change someday. They might not change today. Nobody knew that better than Martha and Mary. For them, it did change that day, but they were convinced that it wasn't going to change ever. Is that where you are? It's not going to change. There's not going to be this. It's, it, it's going to be the same as it was yesterday. I know there's a resurrection coming. I can't wait for that. But the truth is, is that God was going to do something. You say, Tom, what does this miracle have to do with anything in my life today? The biblical truth should change the way that you think. When it comes to 
What we see in these scriptures, what God says here, what he did in the lives of these people should change the way that we think. That we can trust him because it's going to be for his glory. We should desire his glory. We should trust him in everything that he does. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die, listen, so that other people could watch him raise somebody from the dead. You say, that's it? That's what he said. The reason I'm saying this is because of the people who are standing here. Lazarus, come on out. Listen. Lazarus, I mean, I can't think of anybody who had to do this. Had to die again. I mean, this poor guy died, and then later on died again. I mean, I just want to go once, you know? Who wants to do that? Do you believe that God is all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he's ever-present? If you do, then why not trust him? And don't make it just with your voice. Don't make it academic or institutional. Why not allow him to get glory from your life? You see, God wants us to be okay. He wants us to be good with. Hang on and wait, and the not yet. He wants that. Listen, I know you may have lost someone you love. You, you may have a child that's gone wayward. Your husband or your, your spouse, your wife may have left you. It had, may not change today, but it will change. And God will use whatever situation and whatever difficulty for his own glory if you allow him to. He wants to do that. He will take the bad and he makes it good. So why is it important? Because he wants glory from your life. That's why he made you. I want you to think for a second. What do you want fixed in your life right now? What is it you want fixed? And like, it's got to be now. Are you willing to wait? Do you trust him enough to wait? Are you willing to wait for God to fix it in his time for his purpose? Listen, the Bible says his ways aren't our ways. If his ways were our ways, we'd be totally screwed up. God is around that time. And he sees your life not just as this life, but life. I had a cousin. I looked up to this cousin. I don't know. The older cousins, there's something about them. I don't know where I'm from, there's something about them. I didn't have an older brother. And my cousin was like my older brother. He was about... 10 years older than me. So I thought he was like the coolest guy, right? He was murdered. There was no justice for him. We know that he was killed. You know, it could have been something that he said or did to cause the argument or whatever. We don't even know who the people were. We just know they found him on the side of a road, not in an accident. And I remember the day that I heard that. I, I, I couldn't have been more sad for him. My cousin was a believer. His last few years of life, he didn't act like it very much, to be honest with you. But I know he gave his life to Christ. And you know the thing that helped me, even though I was only, well, 
I was 18, almost. He's not dead. Do you know how I know that? The word. You know my grandfather who's passed away? He's not dead. Are either one of them going to walk out of the grave? That'd be great, but you know what? Heaven's better. They're having a better time than us. Why would I want to bring them back to this? God's timing's perfect. He knows what he's doing. You can trust him with it. And if you do, you'll be amazed at what God will show you. And you'll be amazed at how he'll use your life.